economics is all about everything you've been doing your whole life, which is good shopping, good buying, and making sure that you allocate your scarce resources in the way that's best for you, your family, your budget. We've all been doing this for years. And every business owner does this whether they realize it consciously or not. And what they've got to understand is where my first break-even points are, how do I maximize that place between my total revenues and my total costs? And I want to be in that really fat place. I want my total revenues to be high, my total cost to be low. And many people get stuck because they think, oh gosh, I've got to have all these complicated systems in order to do that. No. You just got to know what your fixed costs are every month. You got to know what your variable costs are every month, but you do have to know your numbers every month. And again, many people had bad teachers and it turned them off to doing this the right way. And this is where I see great people, great minds, great strategy, just get mired in the numbers. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Welcome back to the Home Service Expert. My name is Tommy Mello. Today, I have a very special guest. We don't get as many women as I'd like on this podcast, but she's a very, very amazing woman. Mary Kelly's visiting us from Colorado. She's written uh, 13 books. She's an expert of leadership, economic development, marketing strategies and communications, motivational speaking, management and executive coaching. She's based in Monument, Colorado. I'll just go through some of the stuff on her resume. Uh, productive leaders, professional speaker from 2008 to the present. U.S. Air Force Academy Professor of Economics and Finance. She did that for nine years from 2010 to 2019. Southern Methodist University Continuing Professional Education Leadership Facility, 2017 to 2019. And the National Speakers Association of the Colorado Chapter, Vice President of Industry Relations. Did that for four years, uh, 2012 to 2016. Really big on LinkedIn, really big on Twitter. She's the most motivational leadership speaker and business consultant who provides economic forecasting and business projections and improves profit growth through training and coaching. She's the author of 13 books, like I said, about business and economics and has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, Money Magazine, Mensa, Men's Magazine, and various other media outlets. She served 21 years of active duty in the Navy and retired as a commander. Her specialties are human resources, logistics, intelligence, and security. And I'm so excited to have you on. Woof, I ran out of breath. <laughs> Thanks, Tommy. I appreciate that. What most of your folks are probably wondering is, how in the world can this person help me grow my business? So interestingly enough, in January, I'd recorded a video for a group I was speaking to in Idaho. And I said, look, this is going to be a tough year. We're going to have a bit of a recession. We need to get ready right now. And this was before all of the COVID nonsense COVID. hit. And so they came back and they looked at that and they were like, how did you know? And I said, well, nobody was expecting COVID, but we were expecting a normal economic downturn simply based on economic projections. And this is where we as business people have got to be smarter than other folks. We've got to be looking really hard at what's going to happen next and what we need to do. And we have to get ahead of the curve. I'm fond of saying you can swim with the tide, you can float with the tide, you can swim against the tide. And as business leaders, we have to get out ahead of the tide. Yeah. And you know what? Economics, you've got a, a what is, is it a PhD? It is. I got a PhD and a master's both in economics. My undergrad, of course, from the Naval Academy is in engineering. So, 
you know, I've taken a lot of years of economics. I've got a master's. I don't have a PhD yet, but I've got a master's in business. I've taken a lot of economics and I don't think enough business owners, especially in the home service space, kind of look at what's forecasting. Is it a good time to be growing? I always say it's always a good time to be growing because there's opportunities in any market. I, I have a company called Lead Geeks where we sell motivational seller leads. So when you want to sell your house fast for cash and when the economy is falling apart, that business is really good. So I'm kind of hedged. But right. um, It's like alcohol. Like when times are good, people drink. When times are bad, people drink. They just drink yeah. different things. So in bad times, people pull out the really bad beer. Okay, so I'm not going to say there's any real bad beer. If it's free, I'll take it. But it, you know, less lesser priced beer when things are good. You drink more high-end stuff, more cocktails, better wine, more mixed drinks. So again, we've just got to make sure that we've got the right product offerings for our consumers at that time. And that's basic supply and demand. And most people say, oh God, economics, I took a couple classes in that and they just shake their head. By the way, if I'm ever on a plane sitting next to someone, they say, what do you do? I go, I'm an economist. No more conversation for the rest of the flight. And that's, that's the best conversation killer ever. And for those of you who had economic teachers, I'm really sorry if you didn't love it because you probably just had a bad teacher. It wasn't you. Economics is all about everything you've been doing your whole life, which is good shopping, good buying, and making sure that you allocate your scarce resources in the way that's best for you, your family, your budget. We've all been doing this for years. And every business owner does this whether they realize it consciously or not. And what they've got to understand is where my first break-even points are, how do I maximize that place between my total revenues and my total costs? And I want to be in that really fat place. I want my total revenues to be high, my total cost to be low. And many people get stuck because they think, oh gosh, I've got to have all these complicated systems in order to do that. No. You just got to know what your fixed costs are every month. You got to know what your variable costs are every month, but you do have to know your numbers every month. And again, many people had bad teachers and it turned them off to doing this the right way. And this is where I see great people, great minds, great strategy, just get mired in the numbers. Yeah, I love it. It reminds me how fascinated I was when I learned about supply and demand. And then we learned about collusion and how capitalism is the ultimate equal all. I mean, we learned about monopolies and all these amazing things that it all goes back to the equilibrium no matter what. I'm fascinated with you know macro and micro economics. So you've done a lot. You wrote 13 books. You're a coach. You're a keynote speaker to entrepreneurs. Tell me a little bit about, let's let the audience know a little bit about you and where you've been, where you're going, what your plan is. Oh, that's great. So I started working trade shows since I, well, when I was seven years old, my dad would take me with him to trade shows. He was a sales rep. And when I was 10, my parents would leave me alone in the expo booth to write orders. I had pigtails, I had freckles, you know, what's not to like about that. Nowadays, of course, you'd get arrested as a parent, but this was family business and you worked in the family business and you knew how to write orders and sell and figure out what you're buying people needed, your customers, your clients. And, you know, my dad said one of the best lessons my dad ever taught me was never sell onesies. Like you never want to sell just one when you can sell a case or 10 cases or 10 dozen or whatever that is. So that was really good advice that I learned early on. I went to the Naval Academy right out of high school and that was a great opportunity. See the world, have an adventure, all those things. I lived in Asia for about 17 years of my military career. Mm -hmm. wow. so, yep. So I lived off and on Japan, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, Hong Kong, 
Hawaii. So it's tough duty when you get to live in Hawaii. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And then I moved back. My very last job in the military was on active duty teaching back at the Naval Academy. And that's where I started exploring more business opportunities. But when I was in the Navy, I was running things like bases, like Pearl Harbor. I was part of that team. I was a military chief of police. So I come from Texas where any job that gives you all the guns and handcuffs you want, that's a pretty good job. So there's, there's that. I was an HR director for about 3,000 people from Oklahoma to the Middle East. And so I got to run big things, big platforms, big people, big budgets. And that's exactly what your business owners are doing right now. They're looking at those components. They're looking at what it is they're running, the actual business of what they do. They're having to run the business as a business, which is the budgets. And then they're having to look at their talent acquisition, their people, and the training of those people and how they're going to get those people, keep those people. And another program called Armed, because you know it's a military thing, how to attract, recruit, retain, mentor, manage, evolve, and develop your current and next generation of leaders. And that's where a lot of people are right now. And many of your business leaders, six months ago, they were afraid to fire people because they thought, well, we're never going to get enough people hired back. Right now, we have 47 million people collecting unemployment, which means as soon as that runs out, hopefully at the end of July is when most of this will run out, all of a sudden, our employers, our business owners will have their pick of the litter. They, and I love dogs, so that's a compliment. They get their pick of who they want to come work for them. So now it's shifted. Employers are now in the driver's seat when it comes time to talent. And this will remain that way for probably 18 to 24 months. So many people are all in a panic about hiring people back. And what if they go somewhere else? I'm like, you're going to be fine. This is going to continue for a while. We are officially in a recession. Technically, it starts tomorrow, but we're officially in a recession. A recession, as you remember from your classes, is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's funny is on my desk right here, and I've got a whole bookshelf behind me, but the smart-ass recruiter, and uh, why can't I hire good people? And, And it's not my problem. I just, I read these books. I love these books because, Right now, I told you before we got on the podcast, of, I'm trying to stack the deck. I'm filling it with great people. And I'll tell you what, the most secret sauce I've ever said in, in this podcast is going to be right now. It's the process in which you get the people, but the people are the solution to the marketing, to the numbers, to raving fans, to everything. And I used to never say that. I used to say, listen, the process is everything. Process, process, process. And now I'm like, how do I get these amazing people that go through the predictive index, that go through the cognitive test? And, I want people lining up and I don't care that there's 47 million people because I'm treating it like this. You give me great people. I'm going to give you a thousand bucks. I give my employees $1,500 if they get it because my top guy does almost $2 million a year. My bottom guy does a few hundred thousand. That's 1.7 million. That's one, one person. Same thing works in the call center. Same thing with the dispatchers. So, you know, this is crazy what's going on right now. I don't even know. I'm very, very fortunate. I thank God every day, but Talk to me a little bit about COVID and how this has changed things. I'm really interested from an economics perspective as well. Well, businesses that are doing well are businesses that, first off, are allowing people to stay home. So any kind of home delivery, home anything, and this is where some of the big box stores have done an exceptional job by saying, we deliver. If you know what you want, you can find it online, or you were in the store before, and if you're like me... When I see the light fixture I want, when I see whatever I want, I take a picture of it so I know the number so that when I can coordinate somebody get into my house to install it, I can arrange for the delivery. So maybe you've already done that. So you don't even need to go there. 
it's a dissuasion to people. People are put off by the idea that when they drive up and there's people standing outside waiting to get in, and maybe you're in Phoenix, and it's 135 degrees outside or whatever it is in Phoenix now, that all of a sudden they go, you know what, I'm just going to drive away. So first off, we have to make it easier for people to give us their money when they want our stuff. And I think, again, if you are in that position where you do offer delivery service or you can help them get over whatever that obstacle is for them to buy from you, and maybe what it is, is as simple as, hey, we will go pick this up for you when we come to install it, or we've got our contractor discount so we can grab this for you and do this. But make that clear to your buying public. One of my clients is in the wine and spirits industry, and I'm fond of talking about my end. You know, we talk about the end user in the wine industry. I call it my end drinkers. You know, the yeah. end drinkers, the people who are consuming it. So you have to market not only to your wholesaler, but also to your end consumer. And you have to make it as easy as possible for people to make the buy. And that's where I think people do struggle. I've got parents and they're 85 and 88 years old. And right now I do all of their buying and have for months and months, dinner gets delivered, groceries get delivered, everything gets delivered, medications get delivered, everything. So they don't have to leave. That's going to stay. And where I am struggling with some of my businesses are restaurants who say, well, we did take out, we did delivery for the first 60 days, but now we're not doing it anymore. Well, y'all are just being stupid. Because yeah. after what, what we've learned from COVID is none of us are nearly as good at cooks as we thought we were. We're not. And we get real tired of our own cooking. And then the other thing we are tired of is apparently uh, Barbara Streisand was right. We are people who need people. And even sitting around on a big deck with food that gets delivered, we're real happy about that. And we don't necessarily want other people preparing our food in their house because we don't know what horrible diseases their children have. We just don't know. So this is an idea that Delivery service is not going away. This is why Amazon is doing so incredibly well. And if you can do anything that offers some kind of delivery or convenience aspect, it is going to make you money. Make it easy for people to walk in, turn the key, and be done with it. People do not have time for certain lengthy home projects, for example. They can't see it and they can't make. I don't know about your people are probably smarter than I am. But when I pulled my own bathroom out, I learned, wait a second, I probably should have pulled the toilet first rather than last. Like there's some things that people like me would learn the hard way. Well, guess what? When I do projects like that, it means 10 trips to my local hardware store. If I was better at it, it might only be three, but I need 10. And now all of those trips are just taking longer. So if you come in and say, look, Mary, guess what? We got you covered. We're going to do this for you. And it's going to cost you less especially in time, we're going to make your life easy. Think about how you are making the life easier for your end customers. Make it easy for them to buy from you. I love it. Yeah, we're very fortunate in the home service space. Like you said, most of us are showing up to the customer's house. Most of the people listening are B2C, but there's some B2B people. But you know, you, you got me excited before we started with, with one of your books, the five minutes a week with the forums. Do you want to Tell us a little bit about that. I was going to wait till the end, but I'm just really excited sure. about it. Sure. So I'm very process oriented like you. And if I get a good idea, I may never get that good idea again. So I write it down and then I create steps and checklists. I love checklists. Oh, I and do too. I love my checklist. So in the military, as you know, we have checklists for everything. If you're going to launch a plane off a carrier deck, there's a checklist. Every single person involved has their own checklist for what you need to do to make sure that plane launches and is okay. 
Same with every other process we have in the military. If you're going to service an engine, you know, one of the big LM2500s or whatever, there is a checklist to follow. So I translated that into my business world as well. So I've got a book out called, it came out in February. And after five years, somebody said, just put it together in a book so that we can access it so much easier. So I put it together in this book called Five Minutes Per Week, 52 Weeks to Building a Better Business. And the idea is my business owners and my even my small ones, my solopreneurs, if they just take one form once a week, it's a five-minute form, and then just worked on that for, say, five minutes. I call it a five-minute form. If you're crystal clear on what you need to do, it only takes five minutes, like the five-minute vision plan. But if you're not crystal clear, it might take you a little bit longer, but it's one page. Everything is just one page because we do not have time for long, lengthy, big tomes. War and Peace. Nobody's reading War and Peace anymore. Very sad, but true. So it's divided into five categories. It's first off, how to plan your business. That's the vision plan, the business plan, the sales plan, the marketing plan, the strategic thinking plan, the prioritization plan, how you're going to do your online image, how you're going to set your goals, how you're going to meet your goals. There's a five-minute recruiting plan on how you're going to get your top talent. And I kind of pattern that after great coaches I've known. Same with you. Coaches know you have to build your leadership bench and your leadership talent. You don't just hire a quarterback two weeks before season starts. That's not how this works. So that's the planning stage. And then there's the growth stage. And the growth stage is everything from how you're going to provide better feedback, how you're going to delegate, how you're going to manage conflict, how you're going to manage careers and change management. And then there's a leadership aspect, a leadership section, a teamwork aspect, and then a productivity section. And everything is designed to be very palatable, one page at a time. And just for you folks and your listeners, if they go to productiveleaders.com forward slash five day business challenge, I think I've got the top 10 forms there just for your folks that they can download, check out their fillable PDFs, have fun. So I'll put that link. I'll make sure to get that link from you. We'll have it on the homeserviceexpert.com with your Mm -hmm. podcast. You know, you were talking about leadership and I think... When the COVID hit, I decided to cut my pay to zero because I knew we were going to have a little bit of layoffs. We had very little, and a lot of them were apprentices. We just couldn't fly people to Phoenix. It just didn't make sense. But I've tried to be the best leader. I say, leaders eat last. So can you give us some gold nuggets for the listeners, how to bring out the best leaders in themselves? Oh, you bet. So Simon Sinek wrote a book on that when he went to actually spend some time with the Marine Corps. And that is a precept of military training. The Marines practice that all the time. Leaders always eat last. You always take care of your people first. And that's why like you, me, we cut, as soon as this whole thing happened, we cut our pay to zero. We're like, look, we want to set a great example. I have some customers and they said, you know, we've got inventories that are just sitting. So for example, I do have, like I mentioned, a a wine client. I said, well, I know you have a cash flow problem and I have a wine flow problem, so we can probably arrange a deal. So we have to look for creative solutions on what's going to matter. So leadership wise, number one thing when you're leading through a crisis, communicate, communicate and communicate and then do it some more and do it some more and do it some more. You think you're doing a great job. You have to remember that during a time of crisis, People circle the wagons and they get very myopic in their own brain. You can say things a thousand times and they're not hearing it. You say, I'm not taking a paycheck, but you're going to get paid. And what they hear is, I'm not sure I'm going to get paid. You say it a thousand times so they really understand it. Because when people get scared and think about if you've ever taken a family member with a tough disease to the doctor, they're really scared and they're not hearing all of the words. 
It's the same in any crisis, whether it's a personal health crisis or a global pandemic. People tend to get very introspective, very myopic, and they stay in the first four circles of a crisis in their head. And the first part, of course, is the rejection. It's not going to be that bad. We're going to be fine. Um, It's no big deal. It's just like the flu. And then we move into the recognition. Oh, maybe it's more than the flu. Maybe we have to shift how we're working. Now we've got to change our business structure a little bit. People are working from home. We move into the realization phase. Realization is, I got to step things up. I got to take better care of my family. I've now got to homeschool. I've got to communicate better with my teams. Maybe I need more technology. Maybe I've got to reconfigure my office. I've got to be a little smarter going forward. There's a realization. And then there's the resolution phase that's, okay, we got this. We're all in this together. So those are four common circles. And I overlay the circles when I map this out. And many people go through those every single day. And in fact, may go through it several times a day. But our leaders are in the new reality and the new realignment phase. So the reality is we are never going back to 2019. If you're nostalgic for 2019, get over it because we're done. If your business depended, like mine, a lot of it, depending upon people getting together in large groups, well, guess what? That is not going to happen. We're talking for at least 18 to 24 months, which means construction projects are more difficult. More precautions have to happen. In 2020, we thought we were all going to have flying cars, and instead we're back to washing our hands. Really? Are we really that bad? So we know that in the new reality, we've got to be saying, okay, everything is on the table. Every way we thought about our business in the past is now on the table. So let's say the last, like what kind of car are you driving right now, Tommy? Nissan Titan. Good. So when you went to go buy the truck, you're thinking, okay, they say you got a a choice of red, blue, black, white, silver. What'd you buy? Black. Perfect. Shows dirt, but looks real pretty when she shined up. That's beautiful. So that was your choice. Well, in the future, everything, when you go to buy that truck is going to be on the table to include whether or not it uses gasoline. Everything's going to be on the table. We can change every detail in the long run. In the short run, we can only change a few details. Well, right now, my business leaders who are looking for opportunity or or seeing the opportunities are realizing everything is on the table. And if you are looking for an opportunity to pivot, this is now. So we had, as you know, 10 years of really strong economic growth, and yet only about 25% of American businesses had more cash than debt. So some of that, of course, was due to reinvestment and some tax strategy. But if you couldn't make money in the last 10 years, it doesn't look good for you for the next couple. I'm just saying, and it's a harsh reality, and I'm super sorry to bust anybody's moment there. But if you couldn't make it for the past 10 years, then guess what? This is problematic. So now is a time that we've got this big old spotlight that we're shining that on our businesses. And what we're finding are the cracks. And most of those cracks are based in processes, people, and the people who lead them. So again, you asked about the leadership aspect. First, communicate. But the second part is you've got to have a strong enough vision to carry people through the times of doubt. And that is the new realignment. And that's the sixth stage. So my leaders, I like them in the new reality and the new realignment questions, which is all about how we're going to look at our strategy going forward, how we take better care of our customers, how we're taking better care of our employees. What are we doing to get ahead of the market, to get ahead of the demand, to get ahead of where we should be so that when we are planning now, we are planning for three to five to 10 years of success down the road, not next quarter, not the end of 2020. So that's that new realignment phase. So leaders have to be forward thinking, more strategic now, more than ever, 
over-communicating with their team, providing more reassurance, more touch points, which when you're a leader right now and you've had to pivot your whole business, it's tough to think you got to also handhold. And some of my leaders have used the term babysit. And I'm like, yeah, some of that is babysitting because they're in their house. They're trying to work. They're trying to homeschool their kids. Maybe they got an eighth grader. Maybe they got a kindergartner. Real big difference in homeschooling the two of them. So that was a very long answer to a very short question. No, it was a great answer. And it's funny because I, the story I think of is I, I had a one time I could remember, and it was so bad, the turbulence in the plane. And I mean, I'm used to flying. I'm sleeping through it. And I'm like, yeah, don't worry. Then all of a sudden, the lady spilled her, the stuff goes flying. And I mean, it was bad. It felt like we were dropping levels. Boof, boof. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm saying a prayer. And the lady's screaming next to me. She's got a baby. She's screaming, get me off this plane. And I'm going, just I'm taking deep breaths. And all I'm thinking was, come on, come on the mic. Get the pilot on the mic. Tell us we're okay. And it took them 15 minutes after it happened. We're just all sitting there. And I'm like, why did he wait so long? That's what I was looking for is leadership. I wanted somebody to tell me everything's okay. We just went through some cold or warm air, whatever happened in it. And this plane's designed for this. And he laughs a little bit and say, that was nothing. We're fine. We're back to normal. But no. And that's, I think, what you're talking about is you've got to be able to tell these people what's going on. And I had to check my underwear, but I was good. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, exactly, you're exactly right. Both my brothers were military pilots, and I totally get that. And we always, I always laugh when I fly them when it's a little bit of an abrupt landing. You know, I'm like, whoop, former carrier pilot right there, you know, boom, uh, lots of breaks. But you're absolutely right. And what people want is leadership. And people can handle bad news. What they can't handle is uncertainty. If he said, well, looks like it's going to be a really rough landing, so strap in and do this, you can handle that. But what you can't handle is, is anybody up there? Is somebody flying this plane? Is there anything going on? You know, that's why I hate maybes. I tell people, don't waste your time with maybes. Either get to the no or get to the yes. Get to, I, I plow through no's. But no's are good because then I could isolate the objection. The maybe, I can't make you more decisive. Um, that's exactly right. And that's how we help our people with goals too. So people identify, a lot of people get stuck in their own head. And one of the questions I'd love to ask them is, what is the obstacle that is preventing you from moving forward here? And they say this, and especially when I'm coaching my, my leaders, I say, so it sounds to me like to you, this is a speed bump, but for them, it turned into a mountain. So ask the question, how did it become a mountain in their head? And then break it down to the speed bump again and then have them strategize on the possible solutions because our brains are really powerful. We don't like uncertainty, but we do love solutions. So as soon as somebody says, here's the objection, like the no, we say, but what if we could do this? What if we could do this? Our brains are hardwired to focus on those solutions and they get excited by the solutions. So that's where we can help our people change their thinking from the no or the maybe to Oh, I didn't see it that way. Oh yeah, we could do that. And now you've got the possibility. And this is, this is why you're so great at sales. So Mary, what you're telling me is other than the money, you'd be willing to move forward. That's what I'm hearing is the money is the obstacle. So then we say, so listen, can you afford $22 a month? And that's where financing comes in. And all of us should be better at selling financing. Yes, you are, to- <laughs> you are totally right. You're totally right. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned something earlier that I, I was very fortunate because we pay, we pay performance pay to our CSRs and our dispatch. The whole company's evolved around performance pay. And so when we had to send people home, we literally checked out the computers and nothing. We didn't miss. In fact, 
I would say we did better because people are in their own surroundings. They felt really excited to get to work from home. It's amazing to see our booking rates. The thing I'm embarrassed about is I'm over 70 cancellations a day because we're so busy. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think we're in a good spot because I'm like, look, I wrote, a, we're writing a case study. Bree, grab that case study for me. It's 50 pages and it's called The Rise of A1, COVID-19. Nice. It's crazy because this yeah. is, and I'm not proud of the fact I'm fortunate we're essential and I'm not like, I'm just glad of how we all pulled together. I'm glad that our team, we saw the true colors. We made it through this. We're not all the way through it yet, but for the most part, I think the worst has uh, passed us. But what, what is your take on that? You know, we're, as economists, we are the dismal science. There's a reason we're called the dismal science. And I do worry about the second wave because right now the, the curve should be flatter now. So of course I watch curves all the time and I'm fascinated by the numbers. But people got lazy, people got complacent, and people went back to their old habits. And part of me is frustrated by that because apparently their old habits were not that good. And second, you know that what you do does have an impact on other people. So that's problematic when so many states have now seen the rise of this again. But right now, we've got to realize that other people around us have to take precautions on the plus side. Again, when I'm talking to my leaders, and you mentioned a white paper, I can't wait to see yours. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Mine is called COVID-19 and the Future of American Business. And it focuses on the six categories, which are people, process improvement, resource allocation, technology, sales marketing, and entrepreneurship. So those are my six categories. And what I did is I mapped things out based on the challenge that we're experiencing right now, especially my CEOs, my C-level folks. And then the opportunities involved with that and then possible solutions. So every business, of course, is going to look at that slightly differently. But the idea was, how do we see the opportunity? And when my people moan and groan and get all sad about everything is terrible, the world is ending, all those things, I go, okay, but wait, what are 10 great things that have come out of this entire crisis? And they're like, what? I'm like, look, I'm not mitigating or I'm not in any way diminishing the fact that people have gotten very sick, they've gotten very ill, and some people have very sadly died. I'm not in any way lessening that. And it's a terrible tragedy, especially when you have to bury somebody and four people can show up. It's it's awful. However, as entrepreneurs, what we do is take risks and we expect to take risks and we expect to keep the rewards from taking those risks. So what are 10 great things that have come out of this entire experience for you and your team? And you know what, Tommy, you are absolutely right. Number one is, wow, I had no idea my people could pull together so well. Wow, I had no idea my people were so resilient. Wow, I had no idea how quickly my team could adapt to a rapidly changing situation. So right there, it's fantastic. On other avenues, it's I know that some people will not survive out of this and I will be there to pick up their business and buy them out when they can't do this. Oh yeah. 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 There's winners and there's losers. There's very few winners, but the winners are monumental. They're huge. And I would say there's way less traffic is one of the things I was thinking in my head is, wow, there's way less traffic. This is good for everybody. You know, I'm an optimist and it's kind of to the point that people are like, dude, like where grandma died or, you know, and I understand that, but I'm like, listen, there's, Two things I know, we're going to pay taxes and we're all going to die. And I don't want my mom, God forbid, or or my father or anybody, but I know it's going to happen. And I know that right now they're seeing 70% of the population will end up with it. And I'd rather tell my mom, take as many vitamins, get your sleep, don't drink a lot, be healthy. If you do that, we're going to be good and we're going to get through it. Here it is right here. This is the rise of A1. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't it's, wait to uh, see it. 
yeah. and I was with you with your mom until you said don't drink a lot. I'm going to disagree on that, but well, um, you know, she, she's 70 now, damn near 70. So I, I only drink with any anything ending with day. So that's, it. that's a that's a good <laughs> rule. That's a good rule. Now let's go back to your white paper for just a second. Um, how is that organized? Like, what are your main categories? So I didn't, you know, we're still putting it together, but basically I've got it all broken down into each department, marketing, how marketing handled it. We've got how we dealt with our leases. We've got how we dealt, but mostly we all had projects and we got more done on these projects. We all became project managers and the things that came out of this were just, it's, it's incredible. We, we made payroll from a full-time job to less than two hours biweekly. I mean, the things that we've done with this, I mean, I've got, I've got graphs on door installations doubling. I've got the letters we wrote to our vendors. We've got, we started out the employee, here's one, dispatch, takeover, install schedule. I mean, all of us had tasks and we just, we killed it. We, we killed nice. it. We, it's just so much fun for me to go look at this because this was not for anybody specifically, but me and our team to say, look at what we did. Remember this? Remember what happened when everything came against us, what we did is we buckled up, we communicated. We wrote letters every day to our staff and all those letters are in here. I think it's so important. I totally agree. And this is one of the things where, again, that resiliency, people become resilient, not when somebody cheers them and goes, yay, you can do it. No, that's not where it comes from. Resiliency comes from adversity. And this has been a form of adversity for a lot of people. They had to step up. And remote work is a great equalizer. All of a sudden, you are just being judged on what you're producing, not your beautiful, smiling, happy, attractive face. The fact that in the office, you're always that person who refills the copy machine. Don't come back. I'm telling you, I don't even care if they ever come. I love my employees and I love everybody I work around. But I'm like, you want to work from home? Go ahead. A few people I like to have around here, especially uh, Bree, my assistant who you met that Mm -hmm. brought me this. But, you know, it's just amazing how resilient. And it reminds me this. I was in Vegas this weekend. And I've Ooh. got a bet for a Rolex for this guy that I can't do 150 million next year. Okay. Now, as I always say, revenue is for vanity, profits for sanity. Forget right. 150 million. But in my head, he goes, he starts laughing at me. And the CEO of Service Titans there, a three billion dollar company, and and he goes, it's impossible. And I said, you made one mistake. You left the bet completely in my hands. That's right. That's and right. so I've I figured out eight ways to get there back in back forth. I mean, it is done in my head and people go, it's just not possible. I go, you bet against the wrong guy. Yeah. I'm sorry. You just did the wrong thing because now you're right. Now I'm like, listen, I called on my manager. I said, he's laughing. We are going to get him. And I, I don't care about the Rolex. I said, we'll put that on a trophy, but he's going to bow next to me like a proposal and hand me this because next year we're going to get there. And, and that's only the beginning. And the thought process has changed. It's the Grant Cardone 10 times. It's just thinking, forget that. I mean, it's not 10 times. We'll do half of that this year, but to grow 100% in a year is quite a bit. And I'm like, it's not hard. It's not hard. There's more opportunities to get to 100. There's an opportunity to get to a billion and we're going to take it. And, and it's fun. That's the thinking big that I mentioned yesterday on with another client and it's because they, it was a random question. And they said, who do you really admire? And I said, you know, the robber barons of the early 20th century in America, you know, the, the Gettys and the Rockefellers, 
because they thought so big. And this is where I think a lot of business owners don't think big enough. Like you could have gotten to that number, but now this bet is pushing you to do it. And that's what I want all my entrepreneurs to have, like some kind of goal, some kind of bet, some kind of challenge that says, can you do this? When everybody else is telling him, you can't, you can't because you can't because you can't because, oh, that drives me nuts. I'm like, well, what, first off, why would you believe them? And second, are you going to let somebody else's opinion of you stop you from this? And does that really, is that really what the numbers bear out for you? No, thinking big is huge right now. And many people just, they think too small or they're letting the people around them control their growth potential, which is more of an academic word of going, look, person next to you, why would you take advice on growing a business from the homeless person under the bridge? That's just stupid. You're growing an empire. So why in the world wouldn't you want to make that empire amazing? This is what they need to do. They need to find somebody that says you can't. You can't is the biggest thing to push you forward. And you know, here's what you're going to hear. And I've got this great meme. I I don't want to pull it up because it'll take me a minute, but it's, there's all these people pulling you down going, you've changed. You work too much. You're not the same person I knew. And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm not the same person you knew. The same person you knew, you know, I'm a better person. And I'm not going to say, I I believe your soul is genuinely a real thing. But ultimately, I become better. And they say you add up the five closest friends around you, whether that's family, friends, wife, husband, kids. You add up their five salaries, divide it by five, and you're probably within there. And it's around who you surround yourself with. And just hanging out with these guys this weekend in Vegas, it really elevated my game. and. And it just made me think a little bit differently. But ultimately, I'm on the phone every night talking to my management team saying, look, get your head on right and start focusing on the big thing. What are you doing right now? Last month, we did a really profitable month. And I divided the numbers. And I said, if I work the normal work week, which I work way more, but 40 hours, I made $5,000 an hour net. And I'm like, what should I be doing? What should I be doing with $5,000 an hour? Is doing that task that important or should I be delegating, project managing? Make sure that we focus on the right things. Keep your eye focused and it's tunnel vision. It's not a shotgun approach. It's the rifle approach. Mm-hmm. And I just I get so excited. You got me, you got me jamming here. So anything you can delegate, you got to delegate. And that's what I tell my folks all the time, especially my top leaders. I love that tier slightly down from the top one because they're getting pressured from the top and squished from the bottom. I love them so much. And for those people, one of the top things I tell them is now is a great time to hire a virtual assistant. And they're like, well, the company won't pay for it. I said, I didn't say the company was going to pay for it. You pay for it. You cannot waste your time on $12, $25 an hour jobs when you're trying to make $5,000 an hour. That's just ridiculous. You've got to be thinking the big thoughts. You've got to be doing the things only you can do. So hire someone else, delegate everything you possibly can. There's a five minute plan for that. And the idea is get it off your plate so that you have the mental capacity, the bandwidth to do what only you can do. And I think you're absolutely right on that. Okay, so the problem is, is he lies a little bit in that. And Tim, if you're watching, I'm throwing you out. There's a few little deceptive things in there because the average CEO does not work a 40-hour work week or a four-hour work week. The average CEO works 68 hours a week, the successful ones. What you got to also remember is 40% of the CEOs in America only last 18 months. And the reason they only last 18 months is either because they were brought in as the cleanup crew and they are, they're the sacrificial CEO. They're brought in to fire people, be hated, revamp everything, scrap everything, maybe prep it for a merger or acquisition, then they're out of there. Or they get promoted, they're in over their head, and they get fired for cause. 
other CEOs, of course, wind up leaving because they get a better offer or maybe they get sick. But either way, this idea is our CEOs have to take a very strong leadership stance. And you've got to make that vision that you have for growing the company huge, huge. And if you're working 68 hours a week, which again, most of my successful C-suite folks are, and even if you're not in the office working, you're still thinking about the business because it's not like you turn your brain off. And just surrounding yourself with other people who think big thoughts and push you hard and get you excited about these things, even in Vegas. Yep. Boom. Boom. Oh, you make me so happy. Like I said, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. So there's- um, oh, There you go. Yeah. We got to have whiteboards. For those of you that are listening, I've got a whiteboard in my kitchen. I've got one in every office and it's it's my creative side. And I take pictures of my whiteboards. I have a yes. whole file with pictures of whiteboards because I need to go so much. I got to take a picture. And then I get I get my assistant to help me conceptualize it and make goals. Step one, step two, step yes. three. And how do I make this stuff? So many people, they have great ideas, but they don't have an action plan. Yeah. So I can help with that. And again, that link I'm giving you has the goals. I think the goals plan, if it doesn't, I'll make sure it does on how to do that. By the way, for those of you who don't have whiteboards in your office, did you know you can go to a hardware store and get an entire wall made of whiteboard and you just slap it on your wall. It's the most beautiful thing ever. If you're clever, you can frame it. I did, but uh, okay, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. They were clever. And I love my whiteboards. I was a teacher for so long. I taught the Air Force Academy for 10 years while I was running a business because it was only like eight hours a day. And that still left me eight to 12 hours to work a business. Super easy. I love whiteboards. I love things. I can map things out, get creative. And then one of the other exercises I like to use, and it might help your folks, is if I was going to delegate this to somebody, how would I scribble this out? And so I kind of scribble it out and I put the little pieces together and then I take a picture of it and I use a couple different virtual assistant services. I have assistants, but sometimes I need somebody who's more graphically inclined. Sure. So I throw it to somebody on Fiverr or Fancy Hands. Or Upwork. Um, Yep, or Upwork. I like, see, I would like fancyhands.com. I know it sounds like a cheap massage parlor, but (laughs) I know I would, but it's memorable for 29 bucks a month. You get five jobs per month and each job is supposed to take like 20 minutes. And here's why I love them. I don't have to search for talent. They have the talent. They get the request in, they farm it out to the best person to do that. And you get a response really fast. So just a quick example for your folks. I was getting on a plane because I used to get on planes, a lot of them, like 20 a month. Now, not so much. But I was getting on a plane and a friend of mine who has a handicapped son, adult son, was like, hey, I want to put together a PowerPoint thing for him. Um, you know, Can you make me a PowerPoint slide and say happy birthday, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'm getting on a plane, which means I'm about ready to lose bandwidth for a couple hours. And I desperately want to do for this wonderful lady what she wants. But I'm also not creative. I am not graphically inclined. I don't, like all of your people are all three and 4D and 5D. Like they see multi-dimensions. I don't. Like I have struggled with jigsaw puzzles. Like it's a struggle for me. So I'm not graphically inclined. And so I take her request. I forward it to, and all I have to do is forward it. And that's why I like the service. And I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I wish I'd thought of it. Um, Request at fancyhands.com. And I said, hey, do me a favor make something nice for this lady, for her son, for his birthday, go to my website, grab my picture, go to his website, grab his picture, make a little gift, do something super cute. That's only one of the tasks? One task, right? It would take me like two hours to do this. I'm really bad at this. By the time I arrive in Dallas, there's a message from her saying, oh, Mary, I can always count on you. You were the first one to respond and it's just beautiful. I'm sitting here crying as I'm looking at what you made for me. 
And Tommy, I'm sitting there going, um, yeah, like, okay. I'm trying to, I just looked at it. <laughs> this is beautiful. And I'm like, oh, I got so lucky. So again, sometimes we think delegation is us not doing our job. That's not true. They did not a much dumping. Job. Delegating is not dumping. Delegating is not dumping. That should be a bumper sticker. Somebody make that. Delegating is not dumping. And the idea is take things off your plate, especially the things you're not good at, so that you can be more effective by doing the things you are great at. You know, the things that are in my head sometimes just get pulled out, but they get done now. And it's so good because I really like the idea of getting an amazing VA that mm-hmm. can handle 10 hours of each of you know, I've got my executive group and why not? But here's what I want. One of the things that I really work hard on is, and I've got a book here with it, but it's a daily activity log of what are you really getting done in a day? Uh-oh, we've got okay. it. The productivity log. This is the oh productivity log. So Me I do want to, yeah, I, I love my systems, my processes. So this is also on my website. It's a free thing. I have them printed up as pads. I gun them and all that. I do one of these each and every day of my life. I put them on a clipboard. I carry it around with me. And oh my it's gosh. Great. It's so great. So you need to come visit me. You I do. We do need to do that. And anytime. I want all 13 of your books and I'm willing to pay double for them because I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'll send them all to you. So I put the date and I put Tuesday, 30 June, 2020 on it. And then it's the calls I have to make. It's my follow-up for the day. It's my appointments, my set schedule. Uh, short-term goals, like what I need to get done that day. Like if there's something, I'm like, okay, just get that thing done. Accomplishments, I must never get to that, but I do cross things off. And then here's my to-dos. So the good thing about this, and I do keep, I do keep things in Google Calendar and anything that's scheduled gets scheduled, but I like the idea of brain dumping it onto a piece of paper. It actually frees, like here's, is this today's? Yeah, this was Sunday's. And then I normally just punch three hole punch them and throw them in a binder so that if you call me and say, Hey, when did you, when did we do that interview? I can say, Oh, the 30th of June, cause it's crossed off my list. Sure. That means it got done. But we also get a little burst of dopamine or serotonin or one of those happy chemicals in our brain. Every time we cross something off, whether it's with a pencil or a pen that you don't get electronically. And it gives you that sense of satisfaction, number one, but number two, it also gives you that quick win. And sometimes we as leaders, we forget that our teams need quick wins. Sometimes we have to say, here's this big mammoth project. Now let's break it down into two-hour chunks. So along with the daily productivity sheet, I have the weekly productivity sheet, which you're going to like a lot. And the weekly productivity sheet, and all of these, all my forms are available. They're all in a vault so that everybody can download them whenever they need them, which I mostly did it for me, but it turned out to be really smart. So here's the weekly one. Oh, the, magic, the magic there is time and minutes. So when you're sitting down with your team and there's something that they really don't want to do, and maybe they've been going day to day, transferring it from Monday to Tuesday, Wednesday, to Thursday, and you, all of a sudden you say, well, that one thing that it seems like you don't want to do, how long will that actually take you? And they're like, uh, 13 minutes. And you're like, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, I really just need to get it done. You're like, yeah, you kind of do. So it's just a very short conversation. Or sometimes here's where the magic is. Let's say you get your team to all do the daily productivity sheet for 30 days. And you say, I'm not there to micromanage you. I'm not there to check up on things. But what I'm trying to figure out is, do we have institutional obstacles that are preventing you from getting things done? Like, for example, if somebody had it on their list to do Monday and then it went to Tuesday, you can sometimes ask, well, why? Why did that happen that way? And maybe they say, oh, well, the software program that I needed had a glitch in it. And by the time they fixed it, it was a week late. 
good reason. Or Sarah was supposed to do that, but she was out on vacation or something. I mean, there could be a very legitimate excuse, but sometimes it's either because they just don't want to, or because they just didn't want to. So sometimes what you can do is at the end of a month, everybody gets to take a five minute job, like something that would take them five or 10 minutes. And you write it down on a piece of paper and you throw it in the middle of the table. And then everybody reaches in and grabs somebody else's five minute job. So here's the deal. If you don't want to call a certain client because, well, they're big talkers and you're just tired of hearing all the stories and it's going to take 10 minutes out of your day, I'll call them. I don't care. It's not a hot button for me. And so sometimes there are certain jobs that are hot buttons for some people because of prior things that it's not a hot button for somebody else. We'll just do it. We don't care. And all of a sudden, now if all your people are trading jobs once a month, and then the next month you can make it a 20-minute job, all of a sudden now what do you have? You've got people talking about your clients, which you want. You've got cross-functionality, which you want. You've got people backing each other up, which you want. And the jobs are getting done. And that's where some of the fun tricks come in. You know, this is so exciting for me. Every morning we get on a call, my top 15 people, we say, what's the one big thing? And my newest thing, and I I don't have it on this, but is to take a piece of scotch tape and just write on the bag here, every time I look at it, the one big thing I could get done today. Because I'm always on this thing and I always look at it. And I saw that there's a lady that actually does this. And she just says, listen, I don't use my phone at the house when I go to bed or in the morning, the first time I look at my phone is me putting on the most important thing I need to do that day. Everything from your piece of paper makes it onto my Google calendar because I need to account for that time. If I don't account for that time, it doesn't get done. I can tell you that. And when it pops up on my phone and thank God she could deal with me because she says, Tommy, you got it. We've carved out the time today for this. And I say, Hey, some of the stuff I hate, but it's gotta be me. And I get it done. And there's other things that I, typically in a day, there's not a, you know, you say 68 hours worth of work. I'm not at work right now. This is me at work. This is me chilling, freaking. I got a segue right back here. I just have fun. I go around the building and laugh and we've got arcade games. We've got big buck hunter, golden tea. I've got a pinball machine. Anyways, I love this stuff. These podcasts, I say this a lot, but this one, I'm genuinely like, (laughs) I'm getting you back on because this is just the, I want to get these forms. I want to talk about it. I really want to get my hands on the five minutes a week. And, um, oh, geez, there's so much to be taught and learned from me here. I love this, though. The fancy hands. Just hopefully what I try to do in this podcast is just value, 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 value. And you guys got to go out. You guys got to go. Let's find out how they get a hold of you, first of all. What's the best places to buy these and to reach out to you and get these forms and all this stuff. And I'm going to put all this in the notes so they can go to the website and find it. But Uh, I appreciate it. I'm at productiveleaders.com. People say, where can I find you? I'm like usually in a bar. So productiveleaders.com, Mary at productiveleaders.com and forward slash free after productiveleaders.com will take you to the five minute business plan, the vision plan, the productivity sheets. I got to make sure the productivity week is there. I'll double check that. But there's a whole vault as well that comes with the book. And the idea is, again, so you don't have to sit there and go, oh gosh, I need to provide feedback to my employee, but I'm just not sure how and how do I approach that? Well, in reality, the best possible option would be you call somebody who's already been through that situation. They talk you through it because you've got your very own personal executive coach, but not everybody has that. So this is what I created for my people who don't have me on speed dial all the time. And so there's a five minute feedback form. The idea was to provide solutions that people need now because we don't have time to waste. 
you are just such a fresh ball of energy. It's just so nice to talk to someone that could actually keep up with me. I, I love it. I just, I'm energetic. So one thing I always ask on the podcast, we've got your 13 books, but what's three other books that you would recommend? Obviously, War and Peace, but uh, is there three books that really stand out? There's Simon Sinek, I know, uh, the book. Yeah. So there's a book called The Competent Leader by Peter Stark. Terrible title, The Competent Leader. Um, it's by Peter Stark. He's brilliant. He's one of the smartest guys to ever do leadership work. It's by him and Jane Flaherty, who's amazing as well. And that is such a good, again, for my, my beginning leaders, my mid-level managers, when I do organizational work, and I know I'm going to be dealing with people who've only been in the business for, say, five to 10 years, that's the book I pull out and browse through. There's just so many great takeaways. And I love the organization. I also love, there's a new book out on sales by Mark Hunter called A Mind for Sales. I don't know if you've interviewed him, but- Mark Hunter? Mark Hunter. He's on yep. my podcast. I met him. We were speaking. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. And Art, Art's a buddy of his. Uh, yes, Art Subcheck. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I yep. go up with him at least oh. once every two months. Oh, tell him I say, hey. Yeah, his stuff, all of his books are great. So anything by Art is great. I have to read books that, of things I'm not good at. So one of the things I'm terrible at, and part of it is a military experience thing where you're not supposed to sell yourself and you're not supposed to ask for the sale or ask for the close. You don't ask. That's your boss's job. It's your boss's job to promote you. So there's a guy named Bill Cates, C-A-T-E-S, and he's out of, out of Maryland. And his book is all about referrals. How do you ask for the referral? How do you track the referrals? How do you cherish those referrals? And I love that because many times we get referrals, but we never go back to the person who gave it to us and said, thank you. And we never go back and say, by the way, this is what I'm doing for your client. And this is your client. And I'm cherishing that referral. And this is my words, not his, like a newborn baby. And I'm going to take really good care of this baby because you trusted me with your client. I never give referrals casually. I'm always very, very careful. And I expect people to do the same. So when somebody gives a referral to me, I am so cherish it. Cherish it. So that's it. So that's Bill Cates. Any of his stuff, uh, Don't Keep Me a Secret, any of those books, I think are just great. So thanks for asking. So a book that you reminded me of that I gotta go through again is called Giftology. And it's the art of giving gifts, but it's it's amazing what happens. So I'm gonna revisit that and go through the competent. I know I have that book here or it's at my house on that bookshelf. Then finally, the way I, I like to end it, Mary, is I wanna give you the stage. To discuss anything, I, I am going to get you back. I don't know. I told you I want to talk to you again this week, but I'll give you the stage to talk about anything, any gold nuggets, any takeaways, any plans of action, anything you want to talk about for the last to close us out. How much time do I have? Because I can talk for days. You, you know, three, five minutes, whatever. Three, works. five minutes. Okay, great. So right now, people are feeling elevated senses of uncertainty, and we as leaders have to mitigate that uncertainty. And like we talked about at the very beginning, that means more communication, more assurances, and people have to get excited about the work they do. Nothing to me is more awful than being in a place of business and you look at somebody and go, how's your day? And they're like, just waiting to go home. Awful. I'm like, work should excite you. And if work doesn't excite you, please find something else to do that does. So help your people be excited about the work. Many people join your organization or join the industry because they do love what it is they get to do. Now, if along the way they've gotten discouraged, disengaged, less than excited, 
there's probably an opportunity to fix that, especially if they're really good people. So look around for your gold nuggets of people and figure out how can I get them re-engaged, re-excited about what it is we do. That's number one. Um, Number two is one of the other things with all the uncertainty going on is some people are behaving quite badly. Those people who are behaving badly now, they were behaving badly before. Nobody called them out on it. Those people are probably not going to change. So those might be the people you need to let go. And we have to be, as leaders, we have to not be afraid of making the tough decisions. Many of my leaders are so worried about being popular that they don't make good decisions. And some of those decisions are hard. And then the last thing is default to the good. When we're on deployment, and there's a lot of opportunity for miscommunication when you're on deployment. Back in the 80s, when I first started in the Navy, we wrote these things called letters on these things called papers. Oh, yeah. And then we, I know, stamps, by the way. <laughs> can you tell me the cost of a stamp right now? I'd say it's 55 cents, but I don't know. Well, you're right. That's pretty good. Yeah. So that's really good. Am um, I right? You are actually oh right. Yeah, you. Yay, you. Awesome. I uh, have stamps. I just don't go buy them myself. Right? No, of course not. So we used to have to put these stamp things on letters and then months would go by and maybe you'd miss a few in there. And our rule was always default to the good. If there's two ways to interpret something, opt for the good. Assume that nobody meant to offend you. Nobody meant anything bad. Assume the best. Now, as leaders, we also have to plan for the worst, but assume the best when it comes time to your people, your interactions with others. Don't be so quick to jump to an assumption that just may not be true. Oh, brilliant. Mary Kelly, you were up. Like I said, a, a breath of fresh air. I'm going to be in Aspen in two weeks. Ooh, that's yeah. only a couple hours away from where I am. I mean, yeah, I know I've been to Monument. Maybe you can uh, make, make a field trip out there because I'm not going to have a car, but a yeah, good friend I'd of mine invited me. But yeah, I, I want to connect this week. And uh, let's do it. You guys got to get the five minutes a week. Listen, I'll get all this stuff for you guys so you guys could all download it. The forums. I'm a big forum guy myself. I take, and I was looking for, I made little notebooks that fit in my back pocket. This, Eight Steps of Delegation. I'm going to share it with you. It's so cool. Actually, one of my previous coaches helped me put it together. His name's Al Levy. And then I've got the uh, Steps of Corrective Action. And there's steps there. The key to all this stuff is getting signatures. If you get signatures on it, for some reason, the John Hancock proves out everything. But thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, I'm so excited. This is so much fun. I can't wait for us to talk later. I'll make sure to put together a package for you with all the stuff. There's also a vault, an online vault. So I'll get that to you, the password for that right away. And you can start playing around in that and share it with your team. So that's awesome. But thank you so much. I would love to meet up with you in Aspen. We'd have a great time. And yeah, have a great rest of the week. Happy 4th. Hey, you too. Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot to me. And I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're going to find out all the new podcasts. You're going to be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And and do me a quick favor. Leave a quick review. It really helps us out when you like the podcast and you leave a review. Make it four or five sentences. Tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're going to do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. 
So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. I'm not making any money on it to be completely frank with you guys, but I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.